Welcome to Back Porch Leadership, and I'm your host, Ken McQuiston. Here at Back Porch Leadership, we talk about leadership, character, culture, and those events that we've experienced along our way to help us and to help each other become better at what we do. We like to give people the opportunity to learn things that will help them to be better role models, leaders, and examples in both their personal and professional lives. So sit back, relax, and welcome to my back porch. Hey everybody, this is Ken. Welcome to the back porch. I gotta tell you, I'm pretty excited about today uh, as it is a Saturday. I'm sitting on my back porch actually. A little cloudy, but I've got a brisket in the smoker. My dog is laying next to me, and uh, it's relatively nice outside. So we get to have our chat today, outdoors. So I hope there's not too much background noise. If there is, I apologize. But I definitely want to take advantage of some of the nicer weather. And I got to tell you, I spent a lot of time here on the back porch doing a lot of thinking. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot of about is, you know, how I developed as a leader, or what defines a leader. But more importantly, what are some of those lessons that we learned along the way that make us the leaders that we are today? As you know, I'm born and raised, you know, uh, a couple of miles from the Philadelphia International Airport. I'm kind of a city kid. I'm what a lot of people refer to as a row house kid. Uh, If you've ever seen an old Rocky movie where he comes out of the house in the middle of the night to go out and do a run and the music's playing in the background. Well, those row houses are the very type of row houses we lived in. Not very big, not very, you know, glitzy or glamorous, but just a firm roof over your head and kids everywhere. And it was kind of interesting in in the environment that we grew up in. You know, we didn't have a whole lot. We weren't rich. We never had a new car, at least not the times that I lived at home. And, you know, my parents both worked. They were out of the house quite a bit. My dad primarily worked days and my mom worked nights. So, you know, the time that we got to spend together, the the entire family with my older brother and my younger sister, uh, was not as much as we would like, but it was our life. You know, and like I said, we weren't very affluent. We didn't have anything flashy. If if I wanted to know what my next outfit of clothes were going to be, it was usually my brother wearing it now, and, and I would eventually grow into it and wear it for a while until it fell apart. Uh, but some of the interesting things is, you know, for all of us as leaders, regardless of where we're at, whether our personal lives or our professional lives, we were molded and shaped by people, events, or things that either happened to us, happened for us, or we learned from the experiences of others. And you know, we can, we can all talk about the lessons that we've learned from our parents and our grandparents, and, or those who have raised us, if we were raised uh, by others. Some of the lessons we learned by watching our friends, or being involved in events at school, or 
being molded and shaped by teachers or those coaches in our lives that are pretty big influences in, uh, in what they do. And for all of the leadership lessons that I have, to include my you know, nearly 30 years in the military, I mean, I could probably write a multi-volumed encyclopedia version of lessons learned. But really, what were some of those really big ones? You know, those big events, those big things that happened that even to this day, I can remember and say, that was a turning point in my life. How about you? Do you all have that epiphany moment? And and if you did, what was it? And have you shared it with anyone or talked about it? You know, one of the big things you hear me talk about all the time when it comes to leadership is our ability to stay connected and to be storytellers. Because people, at least the people that I come in contact with, I think would much rather hear a story related to an issue, a challenge, or a success than just being said, do this and this will happen. There's usually something behind it that caused that event or that thing to happen. And it's no different for me. I've learned many, many lessons. You know, a lot of the the majority of the foundational leadership lessons I've learned have been from my parents my aunts and uncles, my older brother and younger sister, and, and the host of friends that uh, I spent a lot of time in my life with that I truly love and care for all of them. But it's kind of funny that as I gave this thought, you know, what was that big ticket item? What was that big event? Uh, I keep coming back to a single event that was told to me by a person who... Not only did I think didn't even know I existed, or definitely someone I didn't think really knew enough about me to care about me, to, you know, it wouldn't be that person you would expect to hear from. Now, with that being said, one of the things that we all did when we were kids, at least in my neighborhood, was if you weren't in school, you weren't working a part-time job, cutting grass, or delivering newspapers or something like that, you were playing sports. And for us, it was hockey, it was football, it was wiffle ball, it was stick ball, it was kick the can, it was capture, you know, you name it, we had a game. And we played it to our heart's content or until the streetlights came on and we had to go home. Or worse yet, when one of your parents came out front and started yelling for you to get in the house. Trust me, in my neighborhood, my, all my friends knew who my parents were. My dad, the quiet, calm guy. My mom, whew, you get on the wrong side of mom and yeah, bad things are going to happen. My mom was an expert in shoe throwing. I think she perfected the art to the sense that you could be in another room and she could toss that darn thing and it'd wind up finding its way to, the, to hit you. Now granted, don't think that I'm using this saying I was abused. It was just my mom. And I loved her for the lessons that she did teach me. But you know, there's one story that keeps coming back to me, coming back to me, coming back to me. And the great thing about it was, it was a story that I, a lesson that I had learned from a very, very influential person in my life 
who for at least 30 plus years never knew what they had done for me, how it impacted my life, and the role that it played in making me the man that I am today, and the guy who sits here doing this podcast. You know, all of us have this local legend, you know, that person that everybody always talks about. You know, a lot of people, it was some military war hero or somebody who did something heroic. Or in some cases, uh, it was, you know, someone who became famous. Uh, In our case, it was through sports. And in the mid to late 70s, in the high school that I went to, it was called Sharon Hill High School. And a little less than a decade before I was going to the school, there was this, what we referred to as a living sports legend that went to the school. And his name was Bill Cubitt. Bill Cubitt was in every newspaper, whether it was basketball, whether it was baseball, whether it was football. Everything this dude touched turned to gold. And he was the guy... You know, he, he married the pretty girl from his neighborhood, you know, and and went off to college, went to the University of Delaware, and shined as a football player at uh, University of Delaware. And, of course, for all of us, you know, when we're playing Little League football and, and other sports, you know, you had your professional sports teams that you were always fans of, but very rarely was there ever a conversation where Bill Cubitt's name did not come up. And what was interesting was after his playing days uh, at the University of Delaware, uh, we got the word, I think it was in the late 70s, 78, 79 maybe, might have even been before that, that Bill Cubitt was coming back to Sharon Hill High School. And he was not only going to come back and be a teacher, but he was going to come back and be the head football coach. Well, let me tell you, for a bunch of kids in our neighborhood that knew that this guy was coming back to school, the one thing we all wanted to do is to be on a team that he was going to coach. Pretty amazing. But, you know, with that, there were also lessons that had to be learned, places that we had to learn them. But I had a challenge. As much as I wanted to be the big kid on the block, the big football star, the, you know, the big athlete, the guy that was going to you know, come home famous, so to speak, one day, I had issues. And, and my issues were one of the biggest issues I had was I didn't like to be hollered at, didn't like to be yelled at, didn't like to be demeaned. And if that happened to me nine times out of ten, if it was an event that I had control over, I would quit. I just didn't want to be a part of it. I didn't like being yelled at by my parents, and not that it happened all the time, but when it did happen, it was just something that I did not enjoy, and don't ask me why. Not that anybody else enjoys being yelled at, but it was just one of those things that would get into my crawl, get into my head, and I would find an easy way to exit it, and it was usually by quitting. And the same thing happened when I got into high school sports. You know, granted, very early in my life I realized when you're 5'8", 
5'9", weighing 170 pounds or 180 pounds or even as I got older, up near 200. I didn't have blazing speed or anything like that. I didn't have that it factor about me. So I pretty much guaranteed that I was not going to be running out of the tunnel in Veterans Stadium playing for the Philadelphia Eagles someday. Just wasn't going to happen. But what I did let happen was if I was on a football field or if I was on any sports field and a coach or uh, someone would raise their voice, yell at me, regardless of the lesson they were trying to teach me, I would say, nope, I'm out, and I'd go. And, you know, as I went on in life, I knew it was something that I had to learn from. But I thought it was my issue. Didn't really think anybody knew much about it. Because, again, I wasn't the popular kid. I didn't have the flashy car. I didn't have the, you know, the pretty cheerleader on my arm. Uh, Matter of fact, uh, I think most of them knew who I was, but never anything that would, you know, make me memorable, so to speak. So I did wrestle at school, and I was okay at it. Not nearly as good as my three sons. They were exceptional wrestlers, exceptional athletes. But I got to tell you, the one guy that I feared more than anybody in that entire school was Coach Cubitt. And don't get me wrong, he never degraded me, he never said bad things to me or about me. But because of his status as the legend, he was just a guy that I was fearful of. And don't ask me why. And just imagine when you find out your freshman year of high school that your math teacher is the same guy that's coaching the football team and Coach Bill Cubitt. I remember walking in the classroom the very first day and when I saw saw him sitting at the front of that room in this ominous, you know, position of power, I was really afraid. Don't ask me why. He never gave me a reason. But I never really thought that he knew much of who I was. And it's no disrespect to him. It's just I wasn't the it guy, if you know what I mean. And I never thought that, you know, he would single me out for anything. But here... Who would have ever thought that my experience in high school, the most memorable event of my high school experience, was a conversation of less than five minutes with a guy whom I thought didn't even really know that I existed. So I walked into the locker room of... Sharon Hill High School one day at the end of the day to pick up my gym clothes that I'm sure smelled so bad that it was not only scaring other students, I'm sure the janitors wouldn't even go buy it. And I knew that I had to take these things home to wash or they were going to get up and run down the hallway themselves because they smelled so bad. So I go into the locker room, pretty dark. I needed to get it to the four o'clock bus. And there sitting in the office was Coach Cubitt. All the lights were out in the locker room. He was in there by himself. My first thought, just turn around and go the other way. Second thought, 
Got to get those gym clothes out of there, so you better go get them. Just be real quiet and pray to God that he doesn't notice that you're in the locker room and ask you what you're doing. So I squirreled my way to my gym locker, got it open, stuffed those nasty gym clothes into my bag, started to head for the door. Right before I got to the door of the locker room, I heard this ominous voice bellow out my last name. Hey, McQuiston, get in here. So here, I had two options. One was to run like hell and pretend I didn't hear him. The other one was go in, take the medicine that I was about to get, and press on. I decided the latter. I turned around, went into the room, and almost having the fear of not getting too close, I stood a couple of feet away from the front of the desk and he looked up at me and just said, listen to me, son, I'm going to give you some advice. Little did I know the bit of advice he was going to give me would be the foundation for the rest of my life. And probably one of the reasons why I have this podcast. He looked up at me without even blinking an eye and said, Quitting is easy. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. Then he looked down at his book and continued doing what he was doing. So I stood there for a couple seconds and thinking, and, you know, what's next? What's coming from this? And I realized that the conversation was over, that one-sided conversation. So I grabbed my stuff, I head for the bus, and the whole ride home, I was steaming, fuming mad. Who the hell was this guy to talk to me like that? Wait till I get home and I tell my dad. My dad's going to jump in his car. He's going to drive his happy ass up to that school. And he's going to let that coach have it. So I was primed and ready. We're sitting at the dinner table. My dad walks in and after having a long day at work and sits at the end of the table. And I said, Dad, you're never going to guess what happened today. And without even looking up, he said, what? And I said, Coach Cubit." Call me into his office to tell me that quitting is easy. The more you do it, the easier it gets. Can you believe that? And my dad, never looking up, continued to eat his meal, said, that's great advice. You should take it. I was dumbfounded. I thought my dad was going to go storming up there and hear my dad had validated what the coach had told me. That granted, I was pissed off in more ways than I could ever shake a stick, but the more I thought about it, that coach was the only one that had the balls to tell me what I needed to hear. So over the next couple of days, I, I had resigned myself that if I was going to do anything that was going to prepare me for life after high school, that my mantra was going to be simple. No matter how hard it is, just don't quit. Simple. Just don't quit. Now, someone can tell you that you're not good enough. Someone can tell you that you don't have the experience. Someone can tell you that you're not the top candidate. That's fine. But just never quit. So I took that and turned it into kind of the story of my life. When I decided that I was going to try to go into the military, because granted, I was not a great student in high school at all. 
I majored in, you know, things like football and wrestling. And trust me, GPA doesn't do really good for that. I even had a uh, world cultures teacher. I'll never forget his name, John Rafino. And he asked everybody in the class in school one day what they wanted to do when they graduated. And I said, I want to be the first person in my family to go to college and graduate. And he literally broke out laughing, telling me that I had a better chance of being a garbage man in Philadelphia than graduating from college. And of course, everybody in the class broke up laughing, and I broke up laughing as well, because God forbid I'm going to, you know, show my true emotions of what the guy said to me. And it crushed me to hear somebody say that. But I had committed myself that not just that phrase from that teacher that day, but more importantly, what the coach told me, that I can get the things I want out of life sometimes simply by not quitting. So when I signed up to join the military, oh my God, the first four or five weeks of basic training, I wanted nothing more than to raise my hand and say, hey, I'm out of here. This, this crap is crazy. If you think you get yelled at on a sports field, try going in the military. Holy crap. But really, the thing that was the biggest part of that whole thing was I learned to teach myself that all you have to do is make it to the next meal. If you wake up in the morning, just get to breakfast. And then get to lunch and then get to dinner. And then by the end of the day, you've completed the day as long as you didn't quit. And even when I was in basic training, they found out that I had a hearing disability in one of my ears and asked me how I got through the physical. And I told them. They even asked me, hey, you can get out of the military right now with this because you're never going to deploy, you're never going to do anything like that. And right when I had the chance to walk away, I said, no, I want to stay. I got this far, I'm going to stick this thing out. I had the chance to quit and walk away, but I chose to stay. Who would have thought that almost 29 years later, and oh, by the way, that guy that said that you'll never deploy, I don't know what the hell happened to him, but he sure as heck wasn't with me in Iraq, and he wasn't with me in Afghanistan, and some of these other crazy places that I wound up. So, boy, that dude could have been more wrong than, uh, than he was. But not only did I adapt that never quit phraseology into my vernacular. I said it for my children as well, and I said it to every airman, every soldier, every sailor, every marine that I came into contact with during my military career, and I even say it now in my post-military career. Because quitting is easy, and the more you do it, the easier it gets. So, for all of those years after I had walked away from Sharon Hill High School, I really had hardly ever had come home because I was in the military. I was stationed all over the world. But that didn't mean that I wasn't going to be a, uh, I guess you could say, a closet stalker to Coach Cubit. <laughs> and I say that because he went on to coach high school in Florida, had an extremely successful record there. And even before he left Sharon Hill High School, he had to do something that was probably the biggest challenge, at least I would think the biggest challenge of his professional career, when one high school merged with two others 
Two high schools were predominantly white. One was predominantly black. They merged all three of these high schools together. And Coach Cubitt was really the first guy who had any interaction with these students from different races, different backgrounds, who had been rivals their entire lives now to be on the same team. And turned this team into something that was just incredible. Going into undefeated records and just blowing people away. And it was all because he started the process with coaching in the summertime before school even opened. So when we come back, I'm going to tell you how, how the coach and I reconnected. And I hope you'll understand a little bit more about me when you hear this part of the story. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. And thanks for sticking with us. You know, the story about the coach and I, uh, at, at least I had the opportunity one day to, to actually say thank you. So as we wrapped up the last segment, I told you that I became kind of a closet uh, stalker with the coach. Because what I did was I followed his career. As you could imagine, he graduated from coaching high school football to college football. And coached more people that are either now the NFL or the NFL Hall of Fame. uh, And coached at schools like Stanford uh, and big schools like that. He was both a head coach and an assistant coach at programs. And in 2015, it was pretty funny. I was sitting on this very porch. And I was going through Facebook one day. And, well, even let's go back even further than that. Because this is how the coach <laughs> touched my family and didn't even know it. My son Kyle was stationed in California at the time, and he reached out to me and said, "Hey, didn't you tell me that your uh, that your coach from high school was name was Bill Cubitt?" And I said, "Yes." He says, "You're not going to believe this, but I met one of his nieces, and we had a conversation about your coach." Well, here it turns that my son ran into the daughter of one of Coach Cubitt's brothers. (laughs) And it was funny because when this had happened, I had gotten a notice from a friend who told me that the coach left the college that he was coaching at and was now the offensive coordinator at the University of Illinois. And here I am on a Saturday watching a U of I football game, and my son texts me and says, hey, are you watching this game? Sure enough, we're watching a game. And then during the game, which, which became a highlight on ESPN, was my guy, Coach Cubitt, yelling at the head coach of the football team for the University of Illinois. I don't know what the disagreement was. And my son said, was that the guy? And I said, absolutely, that's Coach Cubitt. And I cracked up laughing. I thought it was just the coolest thing. Uh, and, but later on, it was a couple months later, I think, it was a Sunday and I had gotten a message on Facebook from one of Coach Cubitt's brothers who said, hey, did you see the news? And I, I hadn't. And it looks like the 
the head coach at the University of Illinois had uh, had left the team, and Coach Cubitt was made the head coach. So, as I sat on my back porch on that Sunday morning, I said, "Hey, do you by chance have the coach's email address? I'd love to." be able to send him a note and congratulate him on his job, on his, you know, his new leadership opportunity. And sure enough, his brother sent me his email address. So on that Sunday, I wrote a note to the man that changed my life. And my first thought was, he's got 6.2 million congratulations notes coming in. He's not going to remember me from, you know from Adam and and that'll be it but I thought it was pretty important for him to know that I, I took the opportunity to tell the story about the lesson that he taught me and I even told him in the email you probably don't even remember my name and you probably don't even remember this event but I will tell you what you told me that day changed my life for the better told him about my career. I told him about my wife and my four children. I told him about how I shared the lesson that he taught me with just about everyone that I had come into contact with. And I felt good to myself, but never expected to ever hear back from him. Well, sure enough, a day or so later, I am at work. My cell phone rings, and I look at the number, and I, I didn't know the number. So I said, well, I better answer it anyway. And I answered it. And I heard this, hey, McQuiston, let me tell you, I nearly passed out. Because even 30-some years later, I knew who that was on that phone from, <laughs> from the second he uttered that first hey. I just knew it was him. I literally had to go down and sit down at my desk and have a brief conversation with the coach. He was thanking me for the note and and all that biz, and I was just beside myself that I was talking with him. And then he asked me, he said, hey, would you mind coming up and speaking to the team someday? Well, you know, for me, a guy that never misses an opportunity for a microphone and to tell a story, uh, he told me, hey, you can pick the game you want to come up to, and you know, we'll we'll take care of you. We'll put you up for the night. You stay with the game and be on the sideline. And I just thought that was like the coolest thing. So I went through the schedule, worked with his team, and and got to go up and visit uh, when they played Nebraska. And I've got to tell you, walking into a Division One football program and first being in the same room with the guy who I think had a large influence in making me who I am and seeing all these athletes that I probably came up to their elbows, most of them, I was just beside myself. I sat in on one of the meetings that they were having and, and then got to go to dinner with the team. And the next day, uh, or that night, I got to speak to the team as they prepped for the game. And I told them my story about how he changed my life. But I saved it to the end. Uh, and... As I stood on the sidelines the next day as they were getting ready to play Nebraska, uh, I remember the night before telling them, hey, just don't quit. You know, just, just don't quit. No matter what happens in this game, just never give up. Take it right up to the end. And granted, probably something we can make a movie about someday, but just joking, but 
sure enough, University of Illinois won the game with seconds left in the game. And uh, on a cold, dreary, wet night, and I, I watched the coach and the team as they ran off the field, and, and I left the stadium because I knew it, you know, that was their celebration, not mine. But I was on cloud nine, knowing that not only did I get the chance to tell the man to his face what he meant to me and how much he meant to me, but I got to watch him do his thing and then just be thankful that he's had the same impact on so, so many other people. So why do I tell this story? I didn't need gratification or glorification by going to speak to his football team. I was humbled and honored that he would ask me. I just felt it was important for me as a man to let somebody know and thank them for what they did for me, even if they may not remember doing it for me at all. I remember my dad telling me to never miss an opportunity to say thank you. And sometimes the best thing you can say to somebody during their day is good morning, good night, or simply thanks for what you do. Now for all of you out there, what's the lesson to take from this? What, the lesson is simple. You as leaders are going to mold and shape people. Many of them, you will never know the impact. Because they're not going to come up to you and tell you, hey, thanks for teaching me that. They're just going to take that lesson and they're going to apply it to their life experiences to the best of their ability. Now, would the story be something as, you know, profound as Coach Cubitt and I and, and then winding up, you know, talking? We, we text quite a bit uh, and we usually have texts between uh, during the NFL draft on what teams took what players. And every time that there's a Super Bowl, I'll text him and say, okay, coach, any of your players on the team? And the neat thing is since 2015, every time I've asked that question, he's given me names of people that he had coached that were actually in the Super Bowl. And why is that such a big deal? The coach didn't do what he did because some kid was going to call him 30 years later and thank him. He did what he did and still does those types of things today because he knew it was the right thing to do. And one of our biggest roles is developing those people that we come in contact with in our lives so they can make the world a better place. It's pretty cool because this week, you know, I've been retired from the military 10 years now. But I was given an invitation to come back to the command that I was formally assigned to U.S. Transportation Command to talk to a group of senior NCOs about my experience while I was in the job. I am so stinking excited to do that because hopefully if there's one person in the room that I could share an experience with that will help them to reach their desired goals in life, then it's all worth it. So as you as leaders go through your lives, <clears throat> I give you this. One, never miss the opportunity to say thank you. Never miss an opportunity to tell those who have molded and shaped you as the leader that you are, 
And don't forget to thank them for what they did. Secondly, apply the lessons that you've learned from all these folks that have helped mold and shape you to make you a better person. Now granted, that experience I had with the coach molded and shaped me in a positive way. But there are still a lot of people out there that are what folks may consider toxic leaders. Well, learn from those experiences as well, but learn what not to be like when you do it. And last but not least, try to stay connected to those who have molded and shaped your life. I make a point of trying to call my dad or FaceTime on my dad every day. And it's not just because of the lessons that he taught me, but because of the man he is and what he's done for me. I don't reach out to Coach Cubit every day, but every once in a while I'll just send him a random text, and it's usually around football, asking him how I think the Eagles did in a draft or, or whatever. Or even some of those other folks in your life that uh, you know, social media gives you the opportunity to stay connected to. It doesn't hurt every once in a while just to say thank you for what you've done or what you're doing. Or respond with the thumbs up sign or the heart sign or you know and and if you and if you have to give some crappy responses, always do that in private. Don't bring that out in social media. And lastly, be thankful. Be thankful that those folks have crossed your path in your life. Be thankful that you were exposed to leaders, whether they're family members, friends, business professionals, or, or whomever, that you've come to respect and try to mold and shape your life. Learn from both the good and the bad. So as we wrap up this week, you know, for those of you who have a Coach Cubit in your life, reach out and say thanks. For those of you who have somebody who's helped mold and shape you, no matter how long ago it was, don't be afraid to reach out and say, hey, they may not remember who you are, but I'll tell you what, you'll make them feel good by doing it. And lastly and most importantly, hey, to you, Coach Cubit. And to your lovely wife, Nancy, who I'm friends with on social media, and we, we talk about everything from how the grandkids are doing to how my son's dog is doing to how much we love golden retrievers and, and our grandkids. Uh, thanks to both of you for being such great friends and making it possible for me to be sitting on this back porch. Hope you all have a great day and look forward to chatting again soon. So, hey, everybody, thanks for uh, being with us today. I know uh, listening to the story of, you know, one of the great leadership lessons I learned, I hope resonated with everyone. Uh, but my final thoughts today, I want to take the opportunity to uh, recognize that the month of May is Military Appreciation Month. And I want to take an opportunity to thank all of those men and women around the world who have taken that solemn oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I know to those of us who 
worn the uniform and those who wear it today, that oath is the very beginning of what each of us committed to do when we took that step in to be a member of the United States military. Now, with that being said, I'd be foolhardy not to also recognize all the family members who also support the men and women, their, you know, their significant others, their husbands, their wives, their brothers and sisters, their sons and daughters, uh, and all of those around the world who support those who wear the uniform uh, as well. You know, military service is a unique thing. It's not for everybody, and it shouldn't be for everybody. But for those who are the one percenters that stand up and raise their right hand and take that oath to do something that's not just serving the military, it's not just a job, but it's a commitment to doing something that's bigger and better than all of us as individuals. So for all of you out there who have worn the uniform or are wearing the uniform today, and to all the family members out there of military members around the world and those who support them, thank you for your service. Thank you for your commitment. Thank you for your sacrifice for allowing all of us to enjoy the freedoms of labor, or the freedoms that come from a country that is committed to ensuring that we have them. So thank you all, and uh, until next time, lead on. Hey, thanks for tuning in this week and listening to our episode on Back Porch Leadership. I'd really love to get your feedback on how we can improve the show and make it better. So please feel free to get me at ken.mcquiston at gmail.com or you can get me on Twitter at sign Chief Ken McHugh and we'd love to get your feedback. You know, maybe there's a topic you'd like to talk about. Maybe you can let me know what you think about the show, about the format and how we're doing things. Just love to hear from you. So if you get a chance, reach out and look forward to seeing you next time on the back porch.